0: you're welcome to another fun My Funnel podcast takeover series. So, I'm always excited when we can have somebody run a full series and this time it's Epic Takes mixtapes from the customer experience podcast run by Ethan. Uh, Ethan is uh, is the chief evangelist at BombBomb and he's been doing some ridiculously amazing conversations on the idea of customer experience and he's he's introducing this series around a mixtape. So Ethan, welcome and thank you for doing this, man. Sure. Thank you so much. I think it's so cool that you open this up. It's a true community spirit and mindset that you open the show up to uh, to guest takes like this. And I, it's a privilege to be here.
1: All right. So introduce what this series really is all about as people will jump into this every other Tuesday or Thursday as the series unfolds.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So I was coming up on episode 100 of the Customer Experience Podcast. I'm bringing together typically sales marketing and customer success to talk about how we can be more intentional and aligned in creating and delivering better experiences for customers but i wanted to do something special cuz you know it's episode 100 so i went back and found some of the best passages that were transcendent of day-to-day operations that were transcendent of marketing of sales of cs you know that these conversations are packed with useful insights but these individual takes that i chose came from moments where they just transcended it. And they're very uh, human centered, human focused. I think that's been a consistent theme on the show. So I really devoted that episode and now this series to sharing that. So we're going to hear from some really great guests like, and I think most people listening to the show know David Cancel from Drift, Joey Coleman, author of Never Lose a Customer Again, the director of runner experience at Brooks Running, Rachel Ostrander. You are in this series, by the way. You've been on the show twice. One of my friends and co founders at BombBomb, Bomb, Darren Dawson, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, who I know you know and wrote an amazing book called The Context Marketing Revolution. So that's the series. I'm really excited about it. And it's just a privilege to learn and share so many good insights from so many smart and kind people, such as yourself.
1: <laughs> well, I'm lucky to be in this. So, Ethan, without further ado, let's jump into it as you introduce each and every guest for this entire series. And again, Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Welcome back to the Customer Experience Podcast. Today's guest, and I'm really excited to have him, is a five-time founder and two-time CEO. He founded Compete, Ghostery, Performable, and Lookery. He was the chief product officer at HubSpot for three years. He's currently the founder and CEO of Drift co-host of the excellent Seeking Wisdom podcast, co-author of the book Conversational Marketing, a self-professed obsessive reader, and entrepreneur in residence at Harvard Business School, David Cancel. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Ethan. I'm super psyched to be here and talk about all things video, things customer.
0: Awesome. I, cool. I did not know we were going to have a good video conversation here, but I'm excited to have that too. Now that you introduce it, we'll start here with, um, with customer experience. You know, Mm -hmm. one of my, one of my premise premises, as I got into this was that, you know, you ask 10 people what it means and you'll get 7.4 answers. When I say customer experience, what does that conjure for you? What are some of its characteristics? Yeah. To me,
1: they kind of, uh, I kind of, think the same way in terms of brand experience. So I think customer experience to me is a bigger thing than I've heard usually defined. And what I mean by it is like, it is literally every touch point and every emotion that your brand and your product and your your experience puts onto the customer and what they feel like that. How do they perceive your brand? How do they perceive your product? That's the customer experience. So it doesn't start and stop with a website. It doesn't start and stop with a product. It doesn't start and stop with a brand. It goes across all those things. Because if we think about the brands and the customer experiences that we look to as being remarkable, there's no way to separate out the product versus the people versus the brand. It all becomes one thing. And so I'm obsessed about every detail being part of the customer experience.
0: So good. I think one of the key things you offered in there is this idea that uh, the feelings, right? So, Mm -hmm. so all these things happen, right? I see your website or I talk to a person or I have a product failure or a product success and that's part of it. But what am I left with? How do I feel about it? How do I think about it? And what stories do I tell other people about it?
1: Mm -hmm. I love that last part about what stories do I tell other people about it? So key in the customer experience, because if you're doing a great, well, whatever job you do, people are going to tell stories about that experience. So you can focus on making them good, or if you ignore them, they can become mediocre or bad experiences.
0: Right. I think the default is a lot of folks just don't think about it at all. It's just happening. You hope you hired someone decent. You hope you maybe train them well. You hope maybe you empower them, but you just kind of let it happen. And that's that's why we're having these conversations uh, on the show all the time. So conversational marketing, kind Mm -hmm. of tee this up a little bit just for context for folks that may not be familiar. Talk a little bit about drift, a little bit about conversational marketing, and what is this concept of conversational marketing, what is its role in the customer experience? Like what problems does it overcome? Mm -hmm. What value does it provide? What gaps does it fill?
1: It's funny because, uh, so conversational marketing and the way I'll explain it and what Drift does and customer experience are all one thing, right? All of this, what we're doing in conversational marketing, why we created Drift as a company and as a product and why we use it ourselves all stemmed from one thing, which was this obsession that I've had for the last decade, a little over a decade now, on the customer experience. And the customer experience being the most important thing and figuring out a way which it's taking me time to do over several companies. How do we incorporate that customer experience in everything that we do? right? literally into how do we use it in building our products from an engineering standpoint? How do we use it in our marketing? How do we use it obviously in sales, but across every part of the company, how do we incorporate that customer experience? So when we started Drift for a, year, a little bit over four years ago, now we had an observation. That observation was that customer experience was the most important thing, but for most of our, our professional career, for my entire professional career, even though these ideas are not new, And we had heard about the rise of the customer, the age of customer experience. They actually didn't matter. And I'll explain that. It didn't matter because most companies were operating in ecosystems where they didn't have much competition. And those companies could dictate the sales process, could dictate how they wanted to serve those customers. But if you fast forward to today and back when we started the company four years ago, that's no longer true. Right, the entire paradigm is shifted. In every given category, there are infinite supply of competitors. Whether you sell directly to consumers, you sell B2B, it doesn't matter. There's an infinite supply of competitors. And what that means is that all of a sudden customer experience is the most important thing that you can focus on as business. Even though we've known these ideas for 10, 15, 20 years, they didn't matter back then. They matter, they're incredibly important today. And so we started Drift. Drift basically helps you sits on your website. And we are the fastest path between the customers and your prospects who come to your website and think about your website as a store, even if you literally don't sell stuff on it, and the people inside your company and creating that conversation between those two two people. And the observation was that we had... All of a sudden, the customer was in charge. And if we think about how businesses have always worked for all of time, if you have salespeople within your, your... business. Okay. Forget about Amazon and self-service. But if you have the idea of a salesperson, you have never sold anything until you've had a conversation, right? That is fundamental. But we have spent the last 10, 15 years ago in this rise of, the, of digital marketing in creating barriers between the customer, the prospect... And the people inside the building. And that's what we've all done and what I've done in the past in terms of marketing. And it worked for a long time, but that no longer works today. So, conversational marketing allows you to turn your business into this 24 7, 365 available website that can service your customers. And so, we created this category conversational marketing like two years ago now, two and a half years ago, because we needed a, a way to give this a name. And so we created this. We've written a book around it. Now it's a category. Now there are lots of other companies in this category. And it's become a recognized thing of let's go to the fastest path. Let's actually literally have a conversation with our customers and our prospects because that will always be the fastest path to one, a customer, but two, to building an incredible customer experience.
0: That's excellent. You hit on so many things that are really exciting to me. One of them is the idea that the business used to dictate or have the privilege of dictating the terms on which you engage with customers. And of course, that's dramatically flipped. So just to share a sheer story, I think you'll enjoy this one. So uh, we were about three months behind you in releasing our book, Rehumanize Your Business. It's about simple personal videos. And we did a sales offer in the mm-hmm. pre-order window. And Steve and I, our, our CMO and my co-author on the book, we were both had, we used Drift here at BombBomb. And so we had uh, we had Drift on the page. And you know, I was just monitoring it just to see if, if, you know, these conversations would pop up and, and it was easy to answer a bunch of the questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we could probably, if we were going to continue to use that page, we'd probably write specific bots because yep. we know, you know, 25% of the people ask some ver- variant of this mm-hmm. question in particular, but I had this guy that was, so we, so we did these tiered packages. If you buy one, you get X, if you buy three, you get Y, if you get five, 10, 25, 50, 100, mm-hmm. 500, and up to a thousand books, if you buy a thousand books, you get all this stuff. So this guy's just starts chatting about, you know, the higher level tiers. And so I'm engaging him and all of a sudden, you know, after back and forth of, of maybe 15 or 20 messages with him live, uh, we end up popping onto zoom and he, the guy buys a thousand books.
1: Wow, That's, inc- that's incredible. We should have done that tiered offer for conversational marketing, but you highlight an important thing, which is now obvious to us at Drift and our customers, but wasn't obvious. I don't know why. In the early days of starting the company and building our product, which was those higher level people, those people capable of buying a thousand books, which is significant. Those people are not going to convert the old way. They're not going to fill out a form. They're not going to wait for you to reply to a contact us email. They're not going to wait for you to, to get 20 sequenced emails. They want to talk to somebody. Right. It totally makes sense, right? Like those people and they probably want to talk to people off hours because most of the time in business they're busy during the day. And so they want to converse with people. It's obvious now, but we see it even in our data with our customers. Like the higher level kind of titles, especially those C level titles, those people will always default to talking to someone because they know what they're interested in versus converting in the old ways. But in the old, you know, up until recently, we were only giving them one path to convert.
0: Right. And the other interesting thing here too, just to, just to stay real practical on this example is there's really no one else to have that conversation yep. with him, right? Like mm-hmm. Steve and I put him together. Our whole team was helpful in like building yep. all the landing pages and doing all the stuff, but the sales team is not incentivized on book yep. sales. Mm-hmm. The customer support and customer success team that's talking with customers all day and gets a lot of when people call into our toll free mm-hmm. number, you know, they don't know all the details and nuances yep. of this, and there's no mechanism for us internally in a company of we're about 130 people today. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to call it all company meeting to walk through the sales <laughs> offer, right? And so, yeah. so it was my conversation to have, and and that he wasn't going to reply to an email with, uh, no. "Here are my top 15 questions before I commit." And so it's this, this to the conversational part of it. It's this kind of give and give and take, back and forth. The question he thought to ask in the beginning is not where he landed five questions to for, yep. right? He didn't mm-hmm. think to ask that fourth question off the gate or out of the gate. And
1: so um, anyway, it was fantastic. Um, I think how about how important that customer is to BombBomb, bomb a thousand books. It's incredible. Right. Right. That's and
0: what he wants to do, I mean, part of yeah. what we offered was that we will, Steve and I on our own dime, will come and spend an entire day with whoever mm-hmm. you put in the room. If it's you and your co-founder yep. or if it's five of your best customers or your whole company or mm-hmm. 5,000 people in an auditorium, we'll teach and talk on these themes uh, right. for a day.
1: Oh, that's really smart. That's really right. smart. I wish I would have talked to you before we launched our book.
0: And there's well, maybe we'll get into that here too. There's so we just made it up as we went. You know, there's no playbook it. for this thing. It's yeah. super fun and interesting, and things I do differently. But um, so let's go back to to drift and customer experience. You know, sure. it's obvious how this is a benefit to the company as well as to the customer. The customer, yeah. this, this gives the customer another channel or another means of engaging with the company. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. people want to get on the phone. Some people want to go back and forth in email, et cetera. So this is just another way to do that, either partly or completely automated or truly personal one-to-one as, what, mm-hmm. as was my case with the gentleman who was kind enough to, to commit to that book purchase so i understand it f- from those perspectives but for you as someone who is uh, self professed obsessive mm-hmm. on this topic and with purview over the entire organization all the all the people and all the touch points what are you doing kind of tactically to create some holism or consistency, sure. to manage handoffs well, to maybe yep. measure what's working? What are you doing structurally and practically mm-hmm. and tactically inside your company as someone who really cares about customer experience a lot? How are you
1: bringing people together around it? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it goes back to the uh, something I referenced earlier, which is like Actually the whole idea for drift and the whole overlap of customer experience it's like super meta. we, we wanted to create the most customer centric company possible. So we created a tool that allowed us to converse with our customers and from, to learn from our customers. then we that is the tool that we sell to other people and those other companies use that tool to converse with their customers and get closer to their customers and build ideally a more customer centric company. So it's like it's super meta and uh, recursive right this thing that we've created. But we've we've figured out how to operationalize within our company the things that we're learning from customers and how do we change the existing hierarchy and the existing roles within the company to match what our customers want, right? If we think about the old way, which is this old way of filling out the forms and doing all this stuff that we talked about, that way, that company-centric view created a whole slew of roles within our companies. And we know what those roles are, right? All different versions of, uh, salespeople, whether you call them account executives, BDRs, SDRs, IDRs, uh, you know, account managers, CSMs, blah, blah, all these kind of different things that we've created to specialize and to deal with all those different handoff points. And in order to optimize that from a company experience standpoint. But what we've done is we've inflicted that onto our customers. Our customers don't care what your role and what your title is, right? They just want an answer to your question. So it's causing us to rethink what are the roles that we should create within the company? How, sh- how would we reorganize the entire kind of idea of a company, a modern go-to-market motion around the customer, right? And I always use the example of like, I like the Apple store experience. And when I walk into the Apple store experience, I just talk to someone who works there. They may or may not be able to answer my question, but they always walk me over to the person who can. I don't know what any of those people's roles are, nor should I, right? That's the experience I want. Or at a high-end hotel, or we have lots of different examples that you just have an experience with someone and they've figured out how how to operationalize that internally. What we did early on uh, to get the specifics is that we created tools and frameworks internally for different teams. We have tools for our product teams, how they interpret what a customer is saying, even how do they break down sentences and what the customer might be implying based on how they frame a specific question. And I call that the spotlight framework, and you can find that online. So there's a whole little framework around how to use that for product development. And then we've done that for sales. We've done that for marketing. We've done it for all different teams. We're actually building into our product all of these capabilities so that our customers don't have to learn this on their own because we we think we can take all of this conversation data over time and create these playbooks create these rules create these things in there to help you have better conversations with your customers without having to figure out how to change and how to how do you make this stuff operational within the company
0: I love it are you doing that are you doing that on a per account basis like uh, like a cool. customized playbook
1: We're doing it both. We're doing it across our entire customer base. So those are basic things that you learn about language across different customer bases and people who may be in similar selling motions. right? And then we're doing it lower level. We are doing it specific to that company and the way that things work for them. So we will analyze and make recommendations based on successful interactions that have happened in the past. Let's say it's a sales interaction over drift and we see success and we see commonalities or your top performers. We see commonalities there. So we'll make recommendations that are very specific to your product, to your team as well. And what's worked before. So good. I
0: also want to double back to your Apple store experience and and nor should I. (laughs) So important. Your company's problems are completely
1: irrelevant to your customer. Yep. And we've done that. We've done that for an entire, you know, entire SaaS industry, but for so many industries, like we have for so long been in this world of, and this is a major shift. This is why it's a big shift for people to go from where we've been to where we are now. We've been in this world of it's a, all we care about is the company problems and whatever we decide we inflict that onto our customers and that can that does work and it has worked in the past, but that only works in, a, in an economy where you are a monopoly or close to a monopoly, i.e. you have very few competitors. Most businesses are not like that and definitely the future is not trending that way. And so in a, in a world where you have infinite supply of competitors, infinite supply of options, even if they supply something totally different, a service versus software, in that world, it can never work, right? In that world... It is closer to consumer packaged goods world and you deciding between two versions of laundry detergent than it is about anything else. And it has to come down to that holistic customer experience hundred percent. So good. I want to go a little bit personal here really quick. So
0: I've heard, I, I love the work that you do. I love the way you look at the world. It's privileged to have you on the show. One of the episodes I listened to was the, uh, was from the B2B growth show with James Carberry. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it was released last summer-ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, back. And and so he was in a lightning round with you, which was pretty fun. I and mean, we were talking about Boston restaurants and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What is the number one thing you're trying to optimize in your life right now? And without missing a beat, you said, do you remember what you said? No. Okay. You said experiences. Okay, yes. And so that's, so I that's like so true. But it was the lightning round. So there's yeah. no context. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? What does it mean to be optimizing experiences in your life?
1: It's so funny. You know, if you were to ask me that question right off the cuff right now, I would have said happiness. But Happy. happiness, I would qualify as just a kind of further refinement of experiences. So it's like these happy experiences, not just experiences. I think, you know, it goes back to everything that we're talking about. I think the only thing that we value once all of our needs are met, right? And we've gone down the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And once all of our needs are left, the only thing that's left are experiences. And I think we live in a world now where we will only pay disproportionately for experiences and outcomes. right? And those things are intertwined. So like an experience or a specific outcome. And I think anything that doesn't provide an amazing experience, doesn't provide the outcome you want, is just a commodity. And you have to be the Amazon of your market to be able to sell those commodities. Everything else, every other business in the world, if you're not an Amazon-like business, you need to be selling an experience. And that's what I'm... Looking for, that's what I'm chasing myself because I'm just like everyone else listening to this. Like I care about these experiences. That's all that's left. I live in a very first world problem context here. Like there's not a lot of, if we're watching, uh, podcasts and we're on these high end machines and doing video and stuff like that, we are like, we are so far on the side of first world problems, right? Like if you listen to this, you're with me, right? And, uh, in that world, Experiences is the only thing that's left. There's nothing left but experiences. And that's how I prioritize my life. What are the experiences that I want to live through? Everything else is a commodity.
0: Is it too simple or short-sighted to say that when we talk about experiences, Mm -hmm. it's about how how we make people feel about themselves? Mm -hmm. I love how (laughs) you frame that. I, I feel smarter for having listened to this, or I feel happier or more entertained or smarter and more empowered, whatever. Yeah. Like it's about how we make people feel about themselves. Is that, is that going too far?
1: No, it's not going too far. I think that is the core of it. That's exactly it. I think you nailed it. And I think we have overcomplicated things. We have, and that's what we do as humans, we've overcomplicated things, but we want to make things more rational and logical. Than they are. But at the end of the day, it is how you make people feel. And that's all that we can do on this planet is how do we make other, those people around us, how do we make them feel? And how do those people around us make us feel? That is it. That That is all that we are. And, uh, and I think we're coming back to that. So we're, I think we're coming full circle into that because now, again, if you're listening to this, all of your needs are pretty much met. You know, it's, uh, it's nuanced at this point, And now it's back to the original concept which is simple but it's not easy to live which is like it's all about the experiences and how do i want to make people feel around me how do i want my product to make them feel and that is what people value so good and we pay for it yeah Um, that's the only thing we pay for i think Right. Uh, disproportionately is experiences, right? That's why we want uh, a certain, you know, product, a certain coffee, a certain whatever. It's not because of the literal, the logical idea behind this coffee of what exact beans are in here, what cup they use. It's about how does this make me feel when I hold this cup, when I buy this cup, and by the way, this cup and Bo- this coffee in Boston is more expensive than Starbucks, if you can believe it. How does this make me feel? It makes me feel a certain way. And that's what I'm paying for.
0: Nice, and I would assume that the retail space probably reflects all of
1: that, yes, exactly, totally matches, and that's why I love it because their entire customer experience is perfectly executed, and that's another thing that I kind of geek out on, which I, I'm guessing you geek out on as well, is that is the in- customer experience is the entire thing, so I care about every detail how does this cup how does this cup feel? what is their logo like on this cup? How does it match the experience the servers when you come into the into the Uh, restaurant? How does the aesthetics of the restaurant look? Like every single thing about that makes me feel a certain way. And that's why this place, which is a bakery near here, can sell sweatshirts and hats and people will actually buy them and wear them around because they value that experience.
0: So good. I think if people would buy, I'm sure people do wear Starbucks gear, uh, (laughs) but but, but if more people would do it, Mm -hmm. I'll bet it would be in the stores as as that one is. I have like at least four topics I would love to get. To, but I'll, I'll respect your time as well. I want to talk about books at two mm-hmm. layers. One, I really enjoyed your conversation with uh, um, uh, David Gerhard on. Mm-hmm. Seeking wisdom about um, essential Drucker, radical candor, five dysfunctions, behind the cloud, et cetera, where you guys will like walk through a whole bunch of books that are available. You have like a public bookshelf that anyone, essentially like one of those little free libraries, I see over Boston, like they're all over my town, Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. But in your lobby, why is reading so important to you and specific layer here? Are you one of those people that says, I read 50 books last year, but you actually listened to 40 of them on Audible at 2x speed? Or do you you read books, read books? Like talk about reading and why it's important to you and how you do
1: it. I'm I'm an obsessive reader. So I'm usually reading five books minimum at the same time, which I'll talk about. I think he sets up the important there, which I like to dig in. I was obsessed with reading early in my life. And then I think my school experience, and this is just mine, my school experience taught me to dislike reading because I was taught, which I think most people are, to read in a certain way, to read for memorization, to read for, uh, to say that I completed something, to read, to be uh, forced to read something without having the context to understand why I was reading that at that time. So it taught me that. Later in life, I came back and said, like, I rekindled my love of reading for a whole bunch of reasons. One of them was I kind of discovered on my own that, and I came to this realization that I think I was reading the wrong way. Like, why did I have to memorize things in a book? Why did I have to read? Why did I have to read this specific book versus listen to it on an audio book? Why did I have to, you know, uh, complete the entire book and not give up on books? Why were all these things that I was kind of taught to do? And I said, you know what? These are all, I think in my, for me wrong, like reading is about, is about learning is about growing on your own. It's about learning from other people's failures and, you know, incorporating that into your life. And so like, there are no rules around reading there that reading is you have to complete an entire book, uh, that you can never give up on a book. My wife won't, uh, Still has that rule. Like if she starts a book, she will never give up on a book, even though she's miserable and you know quarter through the book, but she will force herself through that. Which I think is a crazy idea. I think reading should be enjoyable. Uh, reading should be a growth exercise, and I don't think you should have hard and fast rules about reading. And I think you should not. For me, what I find valuable is not thinking that I can only read one book at a time or a specific genre. I like reading lots of different things because those ideas cross pollinate together and they create an entirely new set of ideas. Once I start to read from different mediums, I also pick up books all the time, read a little bit, put them down because I've decided that I'm not interested right now, or uh, I want to come back to that later. And I may come back to that months later. I may never come back to it. I may come back to it years later. I also reread a lot of books because I think that's important as well, because you're in a different context each time you read a book. And so that same book that you read 20 years ago, if you read it five years later and 10 years later and 15 years later, you may be taking different, you will probably be taking lessons, different lessons out than the first time or the second time or the third time you read that book. And so I think those things are important, but I could talk about books uh, forever, but I do, I don't know what the number is now. I'm, I'm kind of well known for recommending a lot of books. And so I'm always sending out book recommendations. We have an internal book club at Drift where you can order as many books as you want. Uh, In this, every conference room here is named after different authors. In those rooms, there are stacks of books and we encourage everyone, including guests to come in and take as many books as you want. They're all free. And we mail books uh, for people who listen to podcasts all over the world every single day.
0: That's amazing. Uh, I do have a follow up question, but it's funny when Steve and I went, we made a commitment to sign about 1100 copies of our book. So (laughs) we, so we went to 800 CEO Reed, who I assume you're familiar with and and signed them all in person on site. And while we were there, it was like we were at drift, I guess, because, you know, our, our our partner and friend Aaron was like, no, just, just take any book you want. And this is like, like floor to ceiling bookshelves. That's how it is here. (laughs) He's like, let's just take whatever you want. We're like, really? So we each pick out like four. And he goes, yeah. oh, is, is that all you want? We're like,
1: can we take more? Take what? Anyway, shipped him to us. It was awesome. Um, we're here. Every person that comes in, whether they're a vendor, a customer, uh prospect, anybody, just like take a friend take as many books as you want, take as many books as you want. And that is to us is the ultimate gift, right? It's just like, take as many books as you want. And like I said, you know, cause we operate, we all operate from a, you know, we have the reptilian part of our brain. So we operate from a, a place of fear and scarcity. You will never go broke buying books. I have not met that person. Right. Such so like, good. yeah, you will go broke buying other stuff, but not books. That's
0: right. So good. I do want to double back on something you shared in the, in the previous answer, which is this idea of reading different topics, different subjects Mm -hmm. um, simultaneously, because what I hear in your words is creativity is blending Mm -hmm. previously disparate ideas into new, Mm -hmm. truly new ideas because there's that line of thought that there are new, there are no new ideas. There is Mm -hmm. no new music. They're just different ways of blending these things together to create something uh, newish. Yes. Um, so talk about, I, cause I think this is an important part of it. Talk about consumption versus the free space to put those ideas together. Like while you're reading, sometimes that occurs to you. What I, this is a more of a personal question than anything. Yeah. What, do you create quiet spaces for those things to work themselves
1: out? hundred percent. So I'm so glad that you brought this up because this is a core part of, uh, of learning right? Whether it's through reading or through other means is like, you always have to have this quiet space in between the noise to be able to synthesize, right. And put this stuff together. And for me, it's a, you know, everyone has a different way to do it. Like for me, this is going for long walks. This is being nature. This is, you know, without headphones, without listening to something, this is just being comfortable being alone. And those are the times when these things were synthesized. This is why we've heard these age-old stories of having ideas in the shower and ideas when you went for at the gym. It's it's not because the gym or the shower are magical things. It's because you gave yourself permission to have that quiet time to let these ideas synthesize. So reading this consumption, which I consume a lot, synthesis is totally different. And synthesis happens after the fact for me. Sometimes it happens while reading, but more often than not, it's after the fact as I'm just thinking about probably something out of left field just pops up and uh, it's really a synthesis of these different ideas. Awesome. Talk now about uh,
0: conversational marketing, the mm-hmm. book, not mm-hmm. just the concept. Yeah. Uh, why a book? What role does it play? Sure. How has it surprised you? Share yeah. anything you'd like about the experience of, uh, of writing and publishing that book.
1: Yeah. So we, you know, we had an unfair kind of advantage in that we had, I was at HubSpot before this. And so I had seen what the inbound marketing book had meant, and so how people reacted to that. that was a long time ago now. But uh, when we were thinking about this idea of conversational marketing, creating this category, we were thinking about how what was the best way to communicate to this? And I think it goes back to something that I think about a lot and talk about a lot, which is like everyone absorbs information in slightly different ways, right? So like for my co-founder, he likes to talk things out, and so he needs to experience write these things as he talks them out and goes back and forth. Other people like me need to like sleep on things, synthesize things. And that's why I like reading so much. Other people respond to something else. And so we had ideas for all these different ways to communicate the idea of conversational marketing. But for people like me and, and uh, people who enjoyed books, the book was an important part. But not just having a digital book, but having a physical book that they could lean back on and not even a physical book that we published, but a physical book that was uh, available at stores all around the world. Because I think it's important to have that kind of ability for people to kind of bump into these ideas, right? To be out there thinking about similar things and like, randomly bump into this book somewhere at an airport or a bookstore somewhere and that book being the right book for them at this right time. And so the book was important for us for a bunch of reasons, but it really came down to, we know there are people that just love consuming new ideas through this medium. And so we were going to use books, we're going to use video, we're going to use all these different mediums. And, you know, books are important because they last, you know, if you write a great book, they can last longer than any of these other mediums that we're, we're exposed to.
0: So good. I'm thinking about right now in my head, I'm thinking about per, just on that last passage there, I'm thinking about permission marketing. Yes. Seth Godin, which was published a long time ago. Years ago. Right. More than 20 years ago. It's 20, it's it just turned 20.
1: Mm-hmm. Or it's going to like in a couple of months or something. Like it's, it was 1999. Well, that had a big impact on me. Permission marketing, Purple Cow, so many of Seth Godin's books. Me
0: too. And, but uh, sorry, I, so I reread permission marketing mm-hmm. about a year ago, and it's so funny how far we have not come mm-hmm. uh, relative <laughs> to those ideas, right? And I actually yeah. do, honestly, I see conversational marketing and what you're doing as, as a bit of the evolution there, because
1: that book was so anchored into email. Um, oh, 100%. And, and, 100%. Yeah. There are two books that conversational marketing is derivative of one of them is permission marketing. So you nailed that. And some aspects of Purple Cow, kind of. But then the second is, which I would advise everyone to go back and reread this. This book was uh, from 19 years old now, back in 2000, published. And it's called The Clue Train Manifesto. So so good.
0: We we don't need to talk about that because that'll take way too much of your time. Yeah, yeah. See, read those two just, books. Just a quick context for you. I was in broadcast, I was running marketing inside local oh, okay. stations. And in the early 2000s, I was trying to figure out what was next because I just felt mm-hmm. like it was kind of a dumb product on a day to day basis. Yeah. You know, useful in times of crisis, but otherwise kind of just a dumb product. And I just wasn't that into it anymore. And so I was, that was the rise of social, but it was also just the right, I guess it was called Web 2.0 at the time. It was. So, so. All that stuff had such a significant impact on me as I started to figure out how are these skills transferable? Obviously, writing, shooting photos, and mm-hmm. shooting videos are highly transferable to a variety of things, and they lent themselves well to a Web 2.0. Clue manifesto is just... It's
1: amazing. Uh, ...really, really impactful. But it's like most of the uh, big transformations that we're going through now, all of these are ideas that we were talking about 20 years ago. Yep. They were all ideas. Every single one of them uh, were ideas before. Most of those ideas failed back then because it was not the right time for them, right? We were not ready for them. But most of the ideas of, of the most popular companies in the world today were ideas from 20 years ago, if not ideas from 30 years ago. They're not new ideas because we are people. We have not evolved, right? But now is the time where a lot of these ideas are ready. The scale is there for them to actually work. Clue Train Manifesto was all about conversations, right? It being about the conversations. That has had the biggest influence on conversational marketing, but it comes back from that book and permission marketing.
0: Yeah. Conversations and consumer choice. It's funny, just go yes. I guess I am going to stay on this topic. Uh, you, yeah. know, you know, when I think about permission marketing, why something that, that, that resonated with me probably 15 years ago when I read it, and even more so now that I have so much more exposure to to how this stuff comes out in practice. At the time, I was just exploring ideas. Yep. I think it goes back to the beginning of our conversation here, which is a lot of people ignore them because it's easier to do it like we've been doing it. And we still think we have that control that we no longer have. Yeah. Which Of course, dovetails into Train Manifesto, which is conversations as dictated by the consumer and not by the company themselves. You mentioned video off the top of this. That's I want to know, what do you think about video? How are you using video? What 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 is your interest in video? What is video's place? What are its strengths?
1: Yeah. I think if you, if you follow a uh, drift online in any medium, you see that we are insane and obsessed with video. We've really doubled down on video from day one of starting the company. And why, why we've done that is because we believe that it is one of these mega trends that we talk about that is transforming all of business, right? The first one mega trend that we talked about was messaging. And that's why we created Drift and why we chose messaging as the beginning, because it wasn't about the technology. It wasn't about the idea of messaging. Again, messaging had been both of us. I'm sure we're using some form of messaging 15, 20 years ago. There's nothing new. Like people think Slack is new or WhatsApp is new. All those ideas existed. I used some version of that 20 years ago. What's different though today and why it's a mega trend is that because mostly because of the smartphone adoption throughout the world, All of a sudden, we're going from audiences of millions. You know, Even Skype took a long time to get to 100 million people to billions overnight. And all of those people are conversationally native is what we call it. They've been born in messaging. They think it's normal. That is how they act. That's how they pay their bills. That's how they do everything around most of the world outside of the US. That's why it's a mega trend and why it's important for business. The second mega trend that we've talked about from the beginning of Drift is video. And video is something that, again, just like messaging around the world, is totally normal, native. These are video native people are being born and raised right now. And it's not about just younger people. Think about all of the demographics across the world and countries that never had access to the Internet. Those people are uh, conversationally native and they're video native. And look at consumption patterns. If you look at consumption patterns and you see that most of online traffic and most of the time, and you don't have to read any stats to know this, just walk across the street, walk into Starbucks, walk into any place around the world and you see people doing this. And what are they consuming mostly? Yeah. What are they consuming most of the time on here? Video. Yep. They're consuming video. And so if you don't think video has a place in your business, you're crazy because all consumption has moved there. And even when you look at companies like... Like Facebook and other companies, they, they say in a couple of years, 90% of their traffic will be video. So how do you think video is not going to have an impact on your business? Right. It's good. I love that you had that, uh, that vision four years ago. Yeah. Um, we were just following the trends. It was not even about like, oh, we saw something that other people, if you just look at consumption patterns and this is kind of a lesson that's, I'll leave this lesson for your audience, which is like, this lesson took me more than half of my career. And if you can look at the white hairs on my beard, you know, that career has been long, but like, it took me a long time to figure this out, especially as an entrepreneur and as an engineer and product person, which is you have to, it's not enough to have a good idea. It's not enough to build a great product. You have to look at the momentum and the trends that are happening in the world. What are the changes in the world? And how do they make the product or the service or the thing that you're building or selling relevant today? And so that took me a long time. That's pretty obvious, but it took me more than half my career to figure that out. And why? Because ego and pride gets in the way when you want to create your own ideas. And now I start by saying, what is changing? What is becoming normal? What is the new normal out there? And then how do I change my business, my service, my offering to match how people want to either consume things, digest things, how they want to be treated, how they want their ex- the experience to be. And so that's the job of business. So all of business is to follow the way that all of us want to change in our lives. And what matches there is just this idea that evolution is the default.
0: Right. Yes. Things yes. are constantly changing and they should be changed. So this idea that we can set it up, like whatever it is, our business or some aspect of our business and like, it's going to be okay because no. it worked for the last 18 months, you know?
1: That's over. And I think we finally have enough examples that we're, se- we're starting to see that even in the biggest of companies, right? They've seen all the massive disruption that's happening in the world today across every given category and segment. And they know that if they have not been disrupted yet, they're about to be disrupted.
0: Yep. And, and it's to uh, so many consistent themes here. Uh, going back to d- essentially, potentially infinite competitors.
1: Yes, we are living in a world of infinite competition, whether you want to believe that or not. So that is the way the world is going. Just in SaaS, which is the industry that, that I'm in uh, and that we're in together, which is just a small subset of the world. But you look at just my history in SaaS, and I kind of think there's three waves of evolution that have happened. I was in the first generation of SaaS in the early two in 2000, right? And before we even had the name SaaS, we didn't have a category. We didn't even know what to call. We was we said we we're going to sell uh, software, the e-commerce, right? And that was our idea for subscription. In that world, and that's when Salesforce and NetSuite and all these companies got started. In that world, those companies had no equivalent competitors, right? That sold SaaS. They were competing with old kind of uh, on-prem software solutions. That was their competition. So their competition was single digits or none. Then you go to the next wave, which was Zendesk and HubSpot. And all these companies got formed. There, we had some competitors, but they were... Maybe we had 5 competitors that we could name really. We didn't have that much competition. You look in SaaS now in every given category. And I'd love for anyone to tell me a category where they don't have tens, hundreds, or in our case, which were in sales and marketing, thousands. Of competitors, and that trend is increasing. It's not holding steady. It's not going down. It's increasing, and the reason why is simple: all of these countries around the world are coming online now, and now they know the the blueprint. They know how to build the technology. They know the go to market stuff. It's all available free on the on the internet. How to build a sales team? How to sell a product? How to uh, you know how to build it from a technical standpoint? And it's all information is free. So the only thing left is experience at this point.
0: So good. Just kind of taking it back to where we started. I could go on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a joy to speak with and to listen to. I want to end this where, where I always do, which is, you know, relationships are our number one core value. And, uh, and so I like to give you the chance to, to thank or mention someone who's had a positive impact on your life or career yep. and mention one or more companies who you really respect uh, for the way they're delivering customer experience today.
1: Sounds good. So I will um, I will leave out the the cop out answers, which are my family, my wife, my mom, all, all those. But those are super meaningful. I will say, from a shout out standpoint, I've had three. I've had I have had a lot of mentors in my life, but I have three early mentors in my life, and they all had two of them were my real mentors, and one of them was a virtual mentor who I learned through their writings and through their experiences. And uh, those three mentors were all named Sam. And so first was Sam Lee, who I worked for uh, when I was in high school at a warehouse. And he really taught me most of the lessons that I'm still figuring out this today. Then it was uh, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. And so if you haven't read the book Made in America, read that book. And he taught me about servant leadership and other things that were important and, and really focusing on the customer. Whatever you think about Walmart, that book and what they did was transformational. And the third one was name. Sam Zales. And he's an on, he's an entrepreneur and runs a public company here in Boston. He's taught me the importance of, of people and uh, over product. And now I believe 99% of this is all about people and 1% is about product. And so those are the three that have really had an impact on my life. And then lastly, the company that I like, that's a tough one because I have a, a high bar. But I think we model a lot of things that a lot of the experiences of a hotel chain called the Four Seasons... Four Seasons, you know, that experience, and what uh, there's a great book that the founder of Four Seasons wrote that I recommend to everyone. And it's about this idea of building this incredible service in a world where very little of it could be scripted, right? And so, how do you get your entire company providing this amazing experience over and over and over? And I'm always fascinated by restaurants and by hotels specifically because the product changes every single day. It's not like building, you know, a widget or a piece of software or what have you, where you can get repeatability because these are people based businesses and people are going to wake up on the wrong side of bed, whether it's a customer or someone on your team. And so how do you build those amazing experiences? I'd say Disney, Walt Disney as uh, in the Walt Disney world is pretty, pretty close as well.
0: So good. Three Sam's and four seasons. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. For those of you who've been listening, if you are a reader like David Cancel, you might want to pick up Conversational Marketing, our book that we just released, Rehumanize Your Business. David, if someone wants to follow up with you or your book or your podcast or your company, <laughs> what are some ways for people to connect
1: with you online? Yeah. Drift.com. dot com, And uh, for me personally, it's... Uh, Instagram is dcancel, D-C-A-N-C-E-L and the same handle on Twitter. And so those are the best ways to get to me. Awesome. I
0: appreciate and value your time so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, and I hope you have a
1: great rest of your afternoon. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And we can talk Clue Train anytime you want. Okay, sounds good. I got to reread it now. <laughs> I'll quiz you. Okay. All right. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast